G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. So there was six of us who had just finished year 12 um, and we went down uh, towards um, Mount Gambia um, for about a week after school had finished. It was our our schoolies trip and uh, we had a bit of intervention from the parents about a week prior to leaving. So up to that point, it was just organised a bunch of, you know, amongst the six, 17 and 18 year old boys. Um, and then one of the parents broke um, and rang another parent and was like, are you comfortable with what's happening in a little while with our boys just, you know, heading off on, on this trip? Um, and from that moment, um, there was a bit of a shift. And so we had a meeting. So at least one parent had to be there plus the boy um, as we planned out what was going to happen over the course of um, our adventures, um, which was fantastic because it meant we actually took food. Um, up to that point, it was on our radar of like, oh yeah, we should pack food. Um, anyway, so we're camping for a week and we're living off like two-minute noodles and packet pasta and that sort of stuff. And then we had a, a pub meal. So we're uh, getting towards the end of our time. We're in Mount Gambia um, and we're at the pub and of course, you know, we all ordered our, our schnitties. Um, and as is often the case with a pub, you know, you, you order your, your meal and then you've got a little plate and you get to help yourself to the salad bar. I tell you what, I have never, ever seen a bunch of 17, 18 year old boys so excited for a salad bar. Like we didn't wait for a schnitty to come out. Like we were just loading up on the good stuff. We hadn't seen a tomato for a week. We hadn't seen anything remotely healthy for far too long. And suddenly, this stuff that our mothers would force us to eat, we were willingly consuming. Interesting how things change based on our our circumstances. Our tastes are not a constant thing. Can anyone here, including those down the front, can anyone think of something that they used to like food-wise? which they don't like anymore. Couple of hands. Something that you used to enjoy to eating and now you don't like it anymore. Has anyone got any of those? I can see a few hands going up. Definitely. What about the other way around? Stuff that you didn't like and now you absolutely love it. A few of you. Well, I've got a couple that we're going to put up on the screen. So here is my top 10 of things that I loved when I was in primary school which I don't love anymore. So, number one, macaroni cheese. My kids love it. All my kids, except as if, love mac and cheese. Number two, plastic cheese. I loved it. I don't know if you're noticing a theme, but it continues with number three. (laughs) I was so excited to find one of those in my lunchbox when I was in primary school, but... Not so much anymore. All right, we'll shift, we'll shift away from cheese now, number four. The word spaghetti, now, I don't think of that. Whereas growing up, that was all I thought of, was spaghetti. But now, thanks to Christy, it's something that I can't call spag bowl. Uh, definitely spaghetti bolognese, isn't that, Christy? Yes. Number five. Those ones. Used to be very exciting, those at a party. Not anymore. Number six. 
fish fingers. I was talking about those with someone fairly recently, but used to absolutely love them. No, not so much anymore. No judgment, by the way, because there are definitely some very kiddie things that I do still like. So if there's any of these you like, you're older and you're like, I still love those, no judgment, just pointing out that things change. Uh, number seven. Those marshmallow things. I don't know. I, I don't get excited when I see those anymore. I used to get very excited when I saw those. Number eight, Pop-Tarts. That may have been high school, because I reckon they launched in Australia as a really big deal about when I started high school, and I was so excited. I thought they were absolutely delicious. Don't like them anymore. I don't mind donuts so much, but something about Coles, Woolies, donuts. This doesn't get me. And then an old classic at the show, nothing's more exciting than fairy floss. But things change. Our tastes are not a constant thing. I don't have the other top 10. But Christy, Christy was one who like, had a bunch of friends who were really into olives. This is going back a fair way. And decided she wanted to learn to like olives. And she was able to do that simply because she wanted, you know, to kind of fit in and, and be, um, be a part of it. Or maybe it was more of like, it must be something good about these olives. I want to be able to appreciate what these other people are obviously appreciating. And so she, she got into it. So it is interesting how our tastes do change and evolve over time. And sometimes there are things that are out of our control with that but there's definitely a measure of control that we have when it comes to our own tastes. And it is an interesting thing about what we eat and how that impacts on other areas of our life. So I remember going through a bit of a phase where I was just feeling sick every single footy training. And it's like, I would vomit sometimes. So footy, I'd vomit, or just feel really, really bad. Um, and then, I finally figured out what it was. And it wasn't just after a week or two, like this is most of the season of like struggling at training, vomiting, struggling. And I realized that this was my first year of playing men's football. So up to that point, I'd always had footy training straight after school. So go from school to footy training and no break in between. But now I'd go from school to home, polish off a pack of barbecue shapes and then go to footy. And it seemed that that was my problem that the fuel that I was putting into my body was the reason that I was vomiting and struggling to feel good at footy. And so our tastes do change and what we put into our body has a direct consequence over different areas of our life. Um, my, my hope today is that for each of us, in areas that we might feel like we can just never be excited about when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Jesus, that today there would be hope for a different outcome. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, keep going. So Father, I thank you uh, for the wonderful gift of food. I thank you that you have given us taste buds uh, to enjoy the food that we eat. Thank you that you give us wonderful cooks, uh, to prepare food and to make it delicious. Uh, thank you also that what you give to us in life, what you give to us in Jesus, 
is satisfying. And it is the ultimate thing for us to, to feast on. And I pray that you, know, you would highlight to us the beauty of Jesus. You would highlight to us what you're calling us into. And that this year of 2021 uh, would be a time where we are satisfied by you more than we ever have been before. So would you have your way and would you lead us and guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that I have prayed a number of times over the course of my life is that God would make me hungry. And I don't think that's right. I don't think it's his job to make us hungry. I think his job is to satisfy us, but it's actually our job to make ourselves hungry. I think often we're not hungry for God because we're so full with other things. We don't have opportunity to actually hunger after the things of God because we're so full of the world and things around us. Can anyone think of any scriptures? I've got a few here that I'm going to read through, but I wonder if anything comes to mind when it comes to to hungry after God. Yeah. So we see there, our job is the hungering and the thirsting after righteousness. What's God's job? Is to fill us. Because not in the hope that possibly maybe you might be filled and you shall be filled or you will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. That's a good word. So our responsibility is to get hungry. God's responsibility is to fill us. One that doesn't use the language of hunger and food, but is really relevant in this whole discussion, is a very famous verse from James. James chapter 4, verse 8, which says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. We're going to focus in on another passage that's not as well known, but says a very similar thing. And Esther, you've got it there on the slides. This one's from Hebrews chapter 10. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in there. So if you've got a Bible nearby and want to pick it up, there's a few that are here in the aisle. Um, So Hebrews chapter 10, and you can see here from verse 22, um, where it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So we are given this invitation to draw near. And I'm going to back it up and read the verses previous to this. So our responsibility is to draw near. But let's have a look at at why. Good work, Brandon. Yeah, nice work. So we're going to go back to verse 19 now. So Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. So some key takeaways from there. We have boldness. We have boldness. To enter the sanctuary. Some translations say enter the most holy place. So we have boldness. How? By the blood of Jesus. 
for what he has done for us. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now we're going to what we read before, which is up on the screen. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And again, the things that he has done, I mentioned at the end, heart sprinkled clean. So we're in a, a time in history where we get to choose. And I wonder, is there anyone here who would like to have a more intimate relationship with Jesus than they do currently? I would. I would like to have a more intimate relationship with Jesus than I do currently. I'd like to be closer to him. We're in a time of history where we actually have a say over our level of intimacy with him. It's not him deciding about our level of intimacy with him. He has done all the setup. So he's the one who's established everything. He came to us. We've just celebrated that. We talk about Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas. It doesn't just end at Christmas. It is always true. God with us. He came to us. He's the one that made the giant leap across something we could never cross on our own. So he has come to us. He has paid the price. He has set things up and established things so that we can be in right relationship with him. And so we can live with him. But what he hasn't done is twisted our arm and forced us into a close relationship with him. He's just done everything required and given us the invitation And now, because of all that, the James 4, 8 passage, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We're not the initiators in the grand scheme of things. He is the initiator. But where things are at now because of Jesus, he said, now it's up to us to initiate. And our initiating is just accepting what he has done for us. Knowing that, He will draw near to you. The moment that we incline ourselves to him, the moment that we draw near to him, we find that he is near us. We're going to flick over to Psalm 24, where verse 3, I've got this one on the slide as well, Um, verse 3 of Psalm 24 asks, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? So this is a question of intimacy. Who can be in that place of intimacy with the Lord? And then we get this answer. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Clean hands, pure heart, not swearing by what is false, not appealing to what is false, not swearing deceitfully. It's Jesus. These all describe Jesus. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
That verse 4, the clean hands, like to never do the wrong thing. The pure heart, to always have the right motive. It's Jesus. Jesus always did the right thing, always had the right motive. Who has not appealed to what is false. If you're in trouble, who do you cry out to? And this is one for me. Like in pain with kidney stones, what was my, my cry? And sometimes, definitely was to Jesus. But other times just crying out for distraction, anything that would help and exposes in me where my faith is not already in Jesus. What do we appeal to other than Jesus himself? And it was not sworn deceitfully. A big one about swearing deceitfully is not telling the truth, not being open and honest about where we struggle and where we fail. And I think for all of us, we need those people that we are just completely open and honest with. And we share our struggles. We share where we've failed. But as we read through these things, these things describe Jesus. But then you get to verse 6. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And we see that it's not just one person, but this is a whole company of people. So it is Jesus who has earned it from his own merit. It's Jesus that has done the work and has never done anything wrong, always with the right motives, and has always gone to God. But we get called up into this. We get brought into this by his grace. And the thing that we can actually do about this, the thing that we have control over, verse 4, clean hands and a pure heart, that's all his grace. For us to do the right thing and have the right motives, that is his grace at work in and through us. But we can control the not appealing to what is false. We can control that whole thing of idols in our life that we put in God's place. Our hunger for God will increase as we remove idols. Other things that would, maybe they're frivolous things. Maybe they're destructive things, but maybe they're actually good things. But we go to them first. Like I went to medication when it came to my pain. And I recommend using the medication that we have available to us. Like praise God for medication. But we don't trust first and foremost in that. I really appreciate my mother-in-law's, uh, she's a retired nurse, um, but her approach was always pray and take Panadol. Like if you're struggling, pray about it. And then if you've got something available to help, then take that too. And praise God for the medical intervention that we have available to us. But let's not have our first go-to as being other things. Our first go-to, what we appeal to, first and foremost is the Lord. And no shame about taking the medication. And it's, a really, it's one that we can you know, get a bit conflicted about. But I want there to be no confliction about it. Uh, but our, our primary thing, number one, is we go to him. And there's this joint thing of being able to remove the things that we might put in the place of him 
but also focus on him. So a simple one for Christy and I that we've been doing in the last little bit is uh, doing a thing that some of you might be familiar with called the Daniel Fast. And so we start the beginning of the year and Christy has been super strict with it, like to the point where she, she researched about green tea and a little bit of caffeine with it and she's like, no, nah, I'm not going to have green tea. I'm like, whoa, who are you? That's amazing. You go, girl. Um, I haven't been as strict, mostly because of the kidney stones and just a few associated things like on top of those, but um, chose to say no to food, to, to sugar and to meat and to other things that would be, you know, a bit of a uh, source of comfort in order to prioritise our relationship with him. And one thing that we put in has been a really simple one, but just a 10-minute prayer time together each day. Um, and so we'll literally set a timer uh, for 10 minutes and we get to the end of the 10 minutes and sometimes we'll pray for longer, but other times we'll, we'll stop when that timer goes off because we've noted over the course of our life together that we're really good when it comes to spontaneous prayer, but when it comes to setting aside time and just making it happen, the two of us together on a daily basis, we haven't been consistent. We've had some good seasons, but we haven't been consistent. So we're like, all right, what's something that we're going to hold back from? Um, and so food is one thing that we've held back from. And what's one thing we're going to put in its place? It's that shared prayer time together. Um, I want to show as well this verse, John 6, 35. So this is a passage I'd love to spend more time in, but we won't today. Um, but this one where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He is the ultimate satisfier. There's about six verses in a row in this passage where he says to eat his flesh. It's a pretty confronting phrase. And of those verses, maybe four of them also say to drink his blood. But the consistent thing is to eat his flesh. It is a full-on passage. But we need to get across that he is the ultimate sustenance. We are to depend upon him more than we depend upon anything else. So more than we depend upon food, more than we depend upon medication, more than we depend upon whatever is our go-to, we need to depend upon him. We look to him first. We are not responsible for the filling. He does that. He just needs something to fill. We're going to have a little bit of time just to chat with people around us. And I simply want to give you a couple of challenges. I had fun wording these ones. Um, so two strategies to create spiritual hunger. So Jesus promises that that hunger will be filled. So first one is to fast from fruitless frivolity to foster father-focused fellowship. <laughs> so what's your default thing to do when you have some time? If you find yourself with a bit of extra time that you didn't expect, what do you do? What's your default thing to do? So it might be screen time, whatever it looks like for you, of an evening would be a classic one. And to go, no, I'm actually going to read through the Gospels or read through Paul's letters or the New Testament. 
I'm actually going to sit down with somebody or call someone and we're going to pray for five minutes. But just to switch out something that's a bit of a default thing to do with something that will help to create that hunger. And when it comes to creating hunger, so three quick tips for creating hunger. Because often you start doing something and you get discouraged quite quickly. Um, But three really simple tips are one, get around other people that are into it. So like with the olives, you know, find other people, like say you've got, uh, it's, it's the scriptures. Like that's something that you just don't feel any desire to do. You feel like you should do it, but you're not currently feeling any desire to read the Bible. Find some other people that are into it already. Get around them. Our hunger increases as we're around other hungry people. So someone else's passion will rub off on you. So get around others. And if you don't have obvious access to friends that are into this sort of stuff, then things like podcasts, YouTube videos of people who are hungry, that will have a similar impact. But just seeing that hunger in others in a consistent sense will have an impact upon you. Another one is, if you're going, we'll just stick with the Bible. If you're going to read the Bible, I wouldn't recommend, say you've got your favourite Netflix um, show that's on and you watch that um, and you go straight from, you know, I'm going I'm to read the Bible between episode four and episode five. Um, and you, you know, you're so full from episode four of what you've just been watching, it's unlikely you're going to be captivated by what you're reading on a page in front of you. Read it when you're hungry. Read it when there's a bit of space in your soul. If your soul is full of something else and then you try reading it, I'm not saying it's not going to be something that satisfies you, but it is less likely because you're already filled with something. Like if you were to put a steak in front of me most of the time, I'd be like, yes, I would love to eat this steak right now. Be like, no, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not allowed to. It's not on the Daniel fast. But if I had just come off an actual fast of not eating any food and you put a steak in front of me, I'm like, I can't eat that yet. If I just stuffed myself with junk and you put a steak in front of me, I'm not going to want it either. It's only good if I've got an appetite. So there needs to be some space in our soul if we're going to actually be able to receive what God has for us. So get around others that are into it. Ensure that you're hungry when you try it and start with regular moderate consumption. If you haven't been reading your Bible, trying to start with reading the Bible in 90 days, it's probably going to be a box-ticking exercise. It's not going to be a feast for your soul. Starting with, I'm going to do a particular passage of scripture is likely to be much more effective and a regular consumption. Get around others that are into it. Ensure you're hungry when you try it and start with regular moderate consumption. If Christy had just like shoved her face with olives, 
It's unlikely to get a long way, but having a couple of olives on a regular basis goes much further. And there's carry across when it comes to these principles in our relationship with the Lord. Um, yeah, so fast from fruitless frivolity to foster father-focused fellowship. And pause predominant ponderings to produce prayer prompts. Whatever for you is your default thing to think about, it can actually become a prayer prompt. I had someone say to me 20 odd years ago, every time you brush your teeth, pray for God's kingdom to come in Morocco. I haven't done it. I've got to confess, every time I brush my teeth, I have failed to do that. But I have sometimes, brushing my teeth, sometimes it comes into mind over these last 20 years to pray for God's kingdom to come in Morocco. Simply because he put it out there and it's stuck. But what if, if for me, often it's work. Like I just think about work stuff and that is my default go-to in my mind. But what if I then started to pray for my colleagues? That's a game changer. I go from something that could cause stress within me to actually doing something that is very fruitful because I am praying God's blessing upon others. My mind and my soul is shifted as well into thinking about others and not just myself. But just encourage you with these two things. It might be that one of them stands out to you. You like F's more than P's, I don't know. Um, but I just encourage you to take a couple of minutes to chat with one or two other people that are around you and to make a bit of a plan. Uh, we'd love to do something as a church in the next little while, um, but don't wait for that. Start something yourself where you make a choice and I encourage you to start that today. So I'll pray and then I might just open up the questions so I don't know if I've been that clear and then we'll go for it. So Father, we thank you that you are enough. We thank you that you are the one who truly satisfies and I pray that we would look to you for that. I pray that you would reveal things uh, to each of us that would be helpful to put aside completely or to reduce their impact on our life in order to focus more on you and receive what you have for us. So would this time be fruitful um, as we pray for one another? In Jesus' name, amen.